Previously on Hacker Valley Blue. We're doing the very first season of Hacker Valley Blue. This season specifically, we're going to be highlighting threat intelligence. Such a huge part about being a financial analyst. I mean, I think you constantly see it and see it in job descriptions. Is need to be able to effectively communicate, right? Yeah, bias, man. That's a that's one that most people don't they don't take a lot of time to think about when it comes to to collection. I was on stage of a very prestigious musical, and there were lots of people in the audience that I wanted to impress, and I knew I was doing a good job. And this director came up to me after the performance and he said, Darcy, he said, you were so great. If only I could have heard you. And it was like a knife in my heart. I think by and large, and this is in, in some ways the definition of a leader, it's about communication and, and being able to speak to the rest of the business. This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. This episode is sponsored by Risk IQ. Risk IQ has been crawling the internet for over 10 years, collecting intelligence on a massive scale, and have created a comprehensive graph of the internet. RiskIQ has deployed sensors globally to continuously monitor, extract, and analyze intelligence. RiskIQ will help you map, monitor, and shrink your attack surface while proactively detecting threats in the wild. If you want to find out more information, check them out at riskiq.com or go to our show notes to learn more. And wow, look at where we're at. The final episode of Hacker Valley Blue. This has been an amazing ride getting to know all of our amazing guests. And this final episode is just Chris and I. And we do a recap of everything that has happened over this season. Talk about some of the things that we've learned and also talk about the future of the Hacker Valley podcast and what's up next, Hacker Valley Red. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again here in the studio with our finale of Hacker Valley Blue. This has been a crazy ride. (laughs) It's been awesome. Such a cool concept. And even better guess, it's been a, a phenomenal ride. It seemed like every single conversation was great and had awesome nuggets for people to digest. Definitely. And the last episode, we had Darcy Webb on. And communication is so important in all aspects of cybersecurity, but most importantly, threat intelligence. There's really no intelligence without good communication habits. Yeah, completely agree. And no one can hear your intel if they can't hear what's coming out of your mouth, right? Exactly. And so being able to enunciate and speak and open your mouth is super, super important. And especially for threat intelligence folks, because that's what you think about when you think about intelligence is the briefing, getting in front of the stakeholder, telling them what they need to hear, telling them what they need to be concerned about when they're making those decisions and taking those actions. I think that 
Darcy was a great, great master to bring onto the season. Yeah, and she's taught us just so much, and we talked about that a little bit on that episode. But every time before I want to communicate a message, there's actually something pretty funny that I do. I I do the face exercise where I really just open my face up, like open my mouth up wide, raise my eyebrows, make some noises just to make sure that when I send off that first word, that first message, that there's no hiccups. I'm the type to stammer and stutter a bit. But when I go through these exercises, it's clear and concise. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I do is there was a poem that we worked on and we talked to Valentina a bit about poetry and poetry has this interesting way of taking words and putting it to music. And I think that you don't have to get musical when you're doing threat intelligence, but you can actually have like a cadence, a rhythm to it and just make it kind of smooth or or you can make it sharp if you need to. I, I think that Playing with these concepts of, of delivery and communication, I think, is only going to make threat intelligence and, and cybersecurity better. Absolutely. What episode brought the biggest surprise to you and why do you think that is? I was like awestruck with Jack Resider's episode just because, you know, he's such a private person. He's right. really serious about OPSEC. But in that episode, he really showed like his personal humanity, his personal philosophy about the stories that he delivers and how he feels when he talks to specific guests and not the torment, but the challenge, the internal struggle that he has with dealing with the story. I was like, wow, I can't I can't believe one, he's sharing this with us. But then also like <laughs> that is Jack Resider that's sharing it on our podcast for all to hear. Yeah. And honesty is always the best policy. And we talked about bias and just what that can lead to. We talked to all of our guests about this, really. And yeah. when you're not thinking about the bias that you have, it's going to affect your decision and ultimately the decision for others. So understanding that bias and realizing what part of the story are you are you leaving out? What part of the story are you diving too deep on? Because Maybe that's what you know best or what's most interesting for the story. That might not always lead to the most honest story or the best story that is going to help an organization in the context of threat intelligence. That's super true because you, you talk about a stage of disinformation or fake news, you know, as we kind of call it today. But what if that information isn't completely has the worst intent, but it's actually just a part of someone's bias? That's even sneakier because it's coming from a place that might have some some truth to it, but there's bias in it. And then we kind of take that bias and it kind of like circulates throughout the people that are either digesting or even amplifying that message. Exactly. And when we talked to John DiMaggio, we talked about that quite a bit. And if someone like John were to send out a threat intelligence report, He's an expert. I'm going to take the word at face value and immediately try to implement and protect against whatever that threat may be. And even Susan PDX will talked about this a bit, too, in her episode about blacklisting IPs just because right. someone of reputation said that they were bad. You that's, always have to look at huge. the full picture. A hundred percent. You got to look at the full picture and that's the thing. People make mistakes sometimes, especially like you say, you know what? This person is legitimate. 
I've listened to the stuff that they put out over the last 10 years. They've never been wrong. I'm going to automatically block everything they put out. But little do you know, they didn't have their cup of coffee. They were up last night with the baby and they're hopping on and, and they're, they're dealing with kids. And all of a sudden they accidentally dropped quad eight in the list. Oh no, <laughs> you can't block that. Right. So that's one thing that I take with me when I go into my realm of security engineering or threat intelligence is that people are human and machines are machines. And we got to always remember that. I'm sure after this season and talking to all of our guests and all the experts, you feel really good because every conversation kind of fit a portion of the easy button. (laughs) And that's also how we started this season, right? We went through all of the components of the easy button, but I felt like everyone on this season talked about some aspect of the easy button in their own way, but especially the very beginning when understanding requirements, and really getting a feel for what you're doing. Yesterday, I was thinking about the easy button a little bit, and I was like, wow, this is a cybersecurity framework. But it can also be looked at as a framework for life if you really think about goals. Because Mm. when you first set out for a goal, you have to understand what it takes to accomplish that goal and also why you're doing that goal. It's part of your planning phase, right? You're eliciting requirements for yourself to ultimately reach another destination. That's unbelievable. I'm stealing it. I'm repurposing (laughs) the easy button. It is now the easy button for life. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But no, you're you're 100% right. When you first think about a goal, let's say you want to be an actress, right? And you want to be an actress, so you got to think, like, what are the requirements that I need to become an actress? Mm -hmm. Do I need to take lessons, like acting lessons? Do I need to build my network of other actors and actresses to then ping questions off of, things like that? Do I need a demo reel? Do I need to create that right now? Or do I need to wait? Do I need headshots and things like that? So those are your requirements. And then you assess your collection plan. How do you go about getting all of those things together? How do you go about looking up different videos and and getting different books for how to be a great actress? Maybe you look at different scenes from different movies. And then you go into strive for impact, right? That's where you actually get to the tradecraft. That's where the rubber meets the road and you're actually doing the work to get mm-hmm. to where you're going. And you got to make those incremental improvements in order to become the greatest actress that you can actually be. And then at the end, you yield the feedback. Maybe you were in front of a director and the director was like, you're doing great, but here's what you got to do. You got to open your mouth, right? I can't hear what you're saying. Taking some stuff from Darcy, I can't hear what you're saying. If I could only hear you, you would be phenomenal. And taking that input as a a gift rather than taking it as a negative criticism and then just continuously getting better. And that's how you become great at something. Exactly. So when you look at it, I think it's a great place to start with threat intelligence. It's very focused. You're dealing with one thing that you're trying to make better and ultimately define and reach a certain goal. But when you look at it from the broad sense, after you apply it to threat intelligence, you can apply it to cybersecurity, and then you could really apply it to life, which I think is really phenomenal. Speaking of that, every guest that we had on 
this season and ourselves, we're really big into kind of sharpening our saw inside and outside of cybersecurity. Like Brandon Dixon, he does ultra marathons, right? Or is yeah, was it just marathons? He's training, for, <laughs> he's training for an ultra marathon right now. And he does like, he's a triathlete. This guy is insane. I'd like to work out with him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And everyone just has these things that they're doing inside and outside of tech, which is so interesting because they're indirectly related. You know, it, yeah. it, you might not see the relationship with training your body, but whenever you train your body, you're ultimately training your mind. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. And even kind of going back to the poetry bit with Valentina, finding the right words for the right sentence and using it in the right way with the right tone. Like that's, that's so much of a part of the threat intelligence product kind of structure, like yeah. finding out how can I chop the fat off the statement in poetry? Like, how do I get to my point perfectly, eloquently, using the right language and making it beautiful. Right. And like what you were saying in that episode, it's also about finding the words and maybe not even, quote unquote, the right word, but the word that's going to send the message and land that it's going to explode in someone's mind and it's going to take up space and they're going to think about it more and more and really hear what the next word is. If you kind of chain those things together, then it becomes really interesting. I think one of the examples that you gave in that episode was hot and scorching. Right. Just those two words have their place in certain messages. Scorching is really interesting. It's like, what is this about? (laughs) (laughs) It it grabs your mind because it's not something you see quite often. You never really see that on a a weather channel. It's like scorching because it's so intense. You'll see hot, you'll see warm. You'll see heat, things like that. But scorching is is different. It kind of grabs the eye. I'm reading this book called Persuasion right now. And that's one of the things that they talk about when it comes to messaging and delivery and persuading someone before you even get to your message. So in the book, he gives an example of how airlines will say you have reached your destination rather than your final destination. It's just that leaving out that word, because it is your final destination if you don't have any more layovers, but it sounds a little dark. So just kind of using the words correctly will ease the message or make the message more intense. They did the same thing for also criminals. So they described criminals as a virus, and they also described criminals as violent. So when you describe Mm. criminals as a virus, you talk to the police about eliminating or having some type of vaccine. Those terminologies work together. But if it's in the sense of something else, then you want to use different terminology there. That's interesting that you say that. And one thing that I kind of think about, because we talked about bias a lot throughout the entire season. The other theme that continuously comes up is that communication like whether it's verbal or written. And someone like uh, like a John DiMaggio, his written prose has to be insane because he's on a very, very public and visible stage. I mean, he's done stuff for, you know, big media outlets and things like that. I also talked about in the Jack Reesider episode that one misstep, one terrible report can 
make everyone judge that one analyst just on that that single report. But you have to be right, like 100% of the time, it seems, in this in this world these days. And there's no room for error. But that's the thing. In threat intelligence, people are going to get things wrong. But it's all in how you communicate that. So that's why we speak in confidences, like medium confidence, high confidence. How likely is something to happen? You know, when we talk in these terms, that's how we actually kind of like give ourselves a little self-insurance to make sure that, hey, I said it was likely to happen. I didn't say it was 100 percent certain. Using different things like that in your communication is pivotal for a threat intelligence analyst. I think he just said it best. And it's really about setting that expectation, right? You're setting an expectation when you give it that confidence level in some regard. And when you miss information, you go back to your stakeholders or your team or whoever it is that you're supplying information to that might be questioning as to why threat intel wasn't reported up. That's seen in the news. Mm -hmm. Hey, we didn't have any expectation to collect this. If this is what we want to collect in the future, or this is kind of the areas that we want to focus on, then we set a new expectation, get some buy-in for it, or just kind of document it in our own sense, just so we're doing that in the future. But whenever you miss information, you have to just set the expectation, bubble it up, and nurture relationships after that happens. 100%. And we spoke about this in the Valentina episode. We spoke about... Sometimes threat intelligence analysts aren't going to catch something. We aren't the oracles of the world. Even though at at one point there was a, (laughs) I did call the threat intel team the oracles, (laughs) but that might have been a mistake. We can't see the future. We can't catch everything. We do our best. We try to collect against those requirements. And if we miss something, we just adjust it, right? Reassess that collection plan and figure out if you were missing terms, Maybe you were missing a source that you were going to use, but really you have to give each other a break. And for the folks that are actually consuming that intelligence, give your intel function a break as well. Some organizations have a large threat intel team and their solution is, all right, we are missing information. Our threat intel analyst told us that they can't look at everything alone. So they hired more people. Do you think throwing more people at the problem is a solution? What are your thoughts there? Mm, See, that's tough because there are situations where having more people is important. So maybe you have folks that are focused on something specific. Like let's say you have folks that are focused on more strategic things. So they're working with the enterprise risk management team. They're working with the board. They're working with the C-suite, getting them the information that they need to know. And then maybe you have someone that's more on the technical side that's supporting incident response. They're supporting hunters, things like that, purple team engagements. So there is some give and take when it comes to having additional people to help support. But sometimes threat intel teams can get bloated. When that happens, if you give a threat intelligence analyst something to do that's tedious, it doesn't spark their job satisfaction, doesn't spark their interest, then you're going to get lackluster results because then you have somebody doing something that's could easily be done by automation. And there you go, Ron. I know that piques your interest. <laughs> Triggered. Yeah, something that could be done by automation. So like things like enrichment. You don't want to have an analyst sitting there doing enrichment when easily you could have automation doing the same thing. So no, adding people isn't always the answer, but sometimes you have to. 
What I think is interesting about some of the teams that I've worked with, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot with just being and helping so many organizations, Chris, is if you can get threat intel analysts that are multifaceted, that have more than one domain of expertise. So having a threat intel expert that also knows a bit about automation, maybe they're not the ones writing the automations, but they can work with an automation team and articulate what exactly that they need from another team or a developer to make their lives easier and to ultimately produce and catch more. I think that the threat intel teams that I've worked with, when they start to build out more team members that have expertise in multiple domains, you get a lot more. And I think that's the type of situation where throwing more people at the problem doesn't necessarily solve it, but it definitely drastically reduces the complexity and the challenges that you're going to have going forward. I mean, what you're really talking about is diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of mindset. And having that diversity from a threat intelligence perspective is super important. You have people that transfer over from vulnerability management, people that come from the SOC, people that come from just the government. They have this deep tradecraft and intelligence, but they're learning the cybersecurity side of the house. And even though they all come from their different pathways, they are still viable threat intelligence analysts in the community. So I I really think you nailed it, is that you can come from many different directions into threat intelligence and then use your different skills, that multiple disciplinary set for your intelligence and supporting the operation writ large. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat, just like I put (laughs) Susan in the hot seat a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) What is the future of threat intelligence for Chris Cochran? How are you going to influence the game of threat intelligence? What kind of things are you looking at today? I kind of look at myself as like that retired quarterback. You know, he's, he's won the championships. He's made it to the top. And now it's time to give back. Maybe he's going to go coach Little League or something. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Uh, No, I I think it it is time for me to give back. Helping push things like the easy framework, help mentoring the threat intelligence folks of today, because I, I really feel like I owe it to the field of threat intelligence for giving me my career, putting me in in the place that I am today. I mean, my house was purchased by threat intelligence dollars, all the great stuff. So I feel like I need to give back to the field. And so continuing to coach, continuing to push that message, bring great analysts and great researchers onto the podcast, talk to them about what makes them amazing and and share that with the world. That's that's what I think the future is. Right. And even though you're kind of retired. I don't I don't know if I would say retired <laughs> from threat intelligence. Uh, no, I'm sure you still joking. touch it a lot being oh, a director yeah. of Big time. cybersecurity engineering. Yeah, I do. Yeah, quite a bit. And in fact, I'm building out a little teeny cadre. More to follow on that shortly. But uh, yeah, building a little cadre of threat intel folks here quietly. So stay tuned for that. I'll never be completely hands off. Obviously, I'll be completely hands on with that team. But as far as me being the the individual contributor for Threat Intel, I think those days are gone. Uh, for me, I, I keep bouncing around from looking at Threat Intel to helping out the SOC to automating Threat Intel to automating now SOC functions. Now I found this sweet balance since organizations and teams really understand the need and importance of intelligence 
whether it's in the form of indicators or tactics and techniques and procedures from our adversaries, everyone gets it. So now I'm able to build a lot more tools that are just functions for other team members to work more on demand and rapidly with information that they need. I think today we're living in a world of information overload. If we type in an indicator or even an APT name into Google or a threat tool, we're going to get a lot of results, especially if Mm -hmm. it's a known actor or a known bad indicator. You're going to get a lot of results. You're going to get bogged down and you're going to end up like how I used to be with over 100 tabs on your Chrome browser. My purpose here in threat intelligence today is distilling that information down to smaller messages giving you the context that you reliably ask for and presenting that to you first rather than having to go to all these sources and query them one by one by one by one. That is the word of the day is is context. Because in context, when you're doing your analysis, that's what you really want. What is the context of this indicator? What is the context of this behavior? Because without that context, you really don't know what to do with it. You don't know whether to block it. You don't know whether to applaud it. You don't know whether to put it in a bucket. You, you don't know what to do with it. And once you have that context, you know what you can do. Also, when you're a threat intelligence analyst, you're presenting that context to your stakeholder. You're presenting that context to the vulnerability manager. You're presenting that context to your cybersecurity leader. Context is everything in threat intelligence. So really understanding the narrative, the narrative is the story of that context. And the context is how does that apply to our environment? Exactly. One of the reasons why I get so triggered about not being able to automate everything is because (laughs) if you can articulate a message, I feel as though why can't we automate that message? If you know that, hey, I typically go to this source first and then this source second. And sometimes I go to this third source. At that point, as someone that's so tuned into automation, I'm like, what are the conditions as to when you wouldn't go to that source? And then build that into the automation. I know that it can't be perfect, but you know, it's still so tempting to try to do and try to take the thought process and the analyst expertise and combine that in the form of automation. I think you can get really close. Like as automation gets better, AI, machine learning, all that stuff gets better. You can get really close. Just like they have automation trying to make paintings now. It does something that looks like a painting at this point, but right. it's not a painting. It's not a Rembrandt. It's not It's not going to be something that you hang up in the Louvre, right? But it is a painting, so you can have automation in it can do threat intel-like things, but it's not to a, a place where you can have that, that intuition because a, a lot of the time you're pulling from different aspects of your life in threat intelligence. So for me, as an example, I actually pull from movies like what would happen next or this happened. Hmm, let me get in the mindset of what I think that individual is trying to do. And then I start looking for clues that might help with figuring that out right? You have to kind of have this basis or this this touchstone for, hmm, what's going on here? Where do I need to look next for my evidence? And sometimes it's coming from places that aren't in cybersecurity. So if you feed nothing but cybersecurity data into this machine, 
that does the automation for threat intelligence, you're going to be missing things. You might have that logical leap that a machine won't take, but a human will take it because they take risks and they go above and beyond that data set that is called threat intelligence or cybersecurity. So I think you can get close in the future, but not 100%. Yeah, and we talked about, <laughs> to each guest, the concept of an unhackable device or application. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the jury's still out, and they closed the books and said, this is not possible. There's no such thing as an unhackable system. Not even many ideas about how to make a system or application unhackable, which is pretty interesting because with that being said, with all of our experts and really everyone in the field saying that there's no such thing as an unhackable system, automation will never be the key. Automation will never be a one-stop shop just because there's always going to be a new creative solution for a threat. Someone's going to find a new vulnerability. Someone's going to find how your automation works and change one thing about their process, and it's going to break everything. So it's almost like whenever we think about using automation to finally rid all the threats or adding a security control to rid all the threats, the attackers take that as a challenge. Even red teamers take that as a challenge and say, challenge on, I yep. want to be the one to break this now. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I mean, that happens with anything. Anything that you say is on something, somebody's going to be like, all right, I'm going to see what I can do to hack this thing or break this thing. And that's the thing is that in those scenarios, time is on that person's side. They're not under a time crunch. No one says like, hey, this thing is unhackable uh, within the first 30 seconds. Like, I mean, that wouldn't sell, right? It needs to be unhackable forever. And that's why you'll never hear somebody say that's unhackable. And then it, it blow up to be the biggest thing since sliced bread because it's a matter of time before somebody comes up with something. Human beings are super, super creative. And they're going to find a way around under or through that control. Yeah. And even some of the individuals that we asked, they said, all right, maybe if you disconnect it and bury it six feet under the ground, maybe it's unhackable. But then we were still kind of theorizing some ways like, well, there might be a battery in the computer. <laughs> you know, there might still be some way yep. to access it. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's always something that you can kind of pull that string and get to where you need to go. Exactly. So I wouldn't want to go too far without saying, what can we expect next from oh Hacker Valley gosh. Studio? First, let me just pause and just say, wow, this season was incredible. Every single person that came on was amazing. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we're doing this and I cannot wait for the next season. We're doing Hacker Valley Red. Obviously, red's going to come right after blue. And we're going to have some unbelievable guests on for this season. Somebody like, uh, I don't know, Rachel Tolbeck. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> for those that don't know, I mean, you'll learn this in the episode. I was supposed to be hacked by Rachel. Luckily, things got busy around this time. Hopefully, everyone's safe at home. But I'm sure everyone's busy at home with COVID and protecting against threats, but I was supposed to be hacked, but I got let off the hook this time around. I was hoping for you, man. I was like, hey, man, make sure all your MFA is up to date. I know. You were telling me, and I was going through all my accounts like, let me make sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it would have been a good time, but we still had a great conversation with her. We also have Alyssa Knight that's going to be on that season. 
She is incredible. Just amazing stories. Triple OG hacker. That's going to be a good one as well. Yeah. And you know who was also really inspiring that everyone should check out and his videos is Ted Harrington, right? Oh, my goodness. He is the king of cybersecurity reels for motivation. (laughs) (laughs) He's the Eric Thomas of red teaming. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, he is awesome. He has a new book, Hackable, which is a great, great, great name for a book. (laughs) Goes back to our conversation. (laughs) Completely. Yeah, Hacker Valley Red is going to be unbelievable. We're actually going to be putting it out a month after this. So definitely stay tuned for all that stuff that's going to be coming out. And I'm just excited for this ride, Ron. Same. I cannot wait. We have still our weekly show going on, which is spectacular in its own right, because we have individuals that are experts in and outside of cybersecurity and technology still jumping on the mics with us, sharing their insights, what makes them tick, what makes them human. And also giving back to let you know how they became great at whatever it is that they're focused on. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about our show, right? We really focus on the human element of cybersecurity. Like that isn't just a tagline we came up with to get people to subscribe. We actually care about these people, their stories, their culture, what makes them tick, what their passions are. And that shines in the episode. I'll take it back to this season is what really got me was Valentina saying that she was born to do this. Like this was what she was brought here to do because there was just a, a meeting of desire and ability that she couldn't foresee. And so now she loves this stuff. So like hearing things like that and going forward into the next season or the next episodes, hearing about people's passions and how cybersecurity changed their lives or how they're changing the lives of others. I couldn't ask for a a better way to learn about these stories. Absolutely. And this couldn't be done without our amazing guests and also all of you listening. You're driving a change in cybersecurity, making the industry and community better, but you're also driving a change within Chris and I and a change within yourself. By just listening to this podcast and our guests you're making yourself better. You're becoming more informed. You're hearing diversity and thought leaders and expertise in the community. So bravo to everyone listening and supporting the podcast and also supporting yourself. Yeah, I'd also like to thank Jay Wood, Lou, and the team over at, at Risk IQ. Like wholeheartedly, like these seasons wouldn't be here without their support. Really, really appreciate all the support that they've given us and to enable to bring these stories in this structure, this new concept of seasons to everybody out there. Absolutely. And with that being said, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Risk IQ. Thank you to our amazing guests. We have some special news like we just talked about for Hacker Valley Red coming out shortly. We're going to have a trailer And we're going to push out more interesting conversations into the community. I cannot wait. And with that, we'll see everybody next time. 